Welcome to the Rebel Diaries podcast. I'm Scott Fulton, international speaker, consultant and trainer. Work sucks for far too many people in business and corporate life, and my goal is to fix that. My guests each week include authors, millionaires, entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and inspiring people who share their stories, insights, and tips to help you transform your work and life for the better. They are the rebels because they challenge the status quo and help others to do the same. You are listening to The Rebel Diaries Show. Stick with me and work will never be the same again. And usually the line is so thin that you can't really address it. Because if you address it, he will say you're exaggerating or, of course, you're hysterical, this isn't happening. But it's also making you uncomfortable. And somewhere along those lines, we have also our own expectations. But sometimes not everyone is strong-minded enough or dynamic enough or confident enough to say, you know what, I think you're all wrong and I am right. We shouldn't be viewing our career as a ladder. It's more of a playground. Where you go, you do a little bit of the swing and then you change it and you go do something else and you collect experiences from all of these things. Zoe is an organizational psychologist. She helps with culture transformation, employee training and development, and business coaching for both private and corporate clients globally. She is a mentor for Women on Top, an organization trying to bring equality into the workplace. Hi, Zoe. Welcome to the Rebel Diaries podcast. Hello, Scott. Thank you so much for having me. What got you into this area of work? What did you do beforehand? Endless studying for starts. (laughs) It's not something you end up doing randomly. Life made me an organizational psychologist. So I started studying psychology first. And what I realized there was that I'm actually very business oriented. So it made more sense for me to pursue this kind of career path instead of the clinical path, which was also more mainstream and more people liked it. Everybody, when they start studying psychology, they dream they're going to be something like Sigmund Freud. (laughs) But I wasn't really like that. And because I was also working in corporations at the same time while studying, I really developed a more business mindset. So it was a very natural, I would say, journey. That's what led me to want to make corporate cultures healthier. If I didn't see it with my own eyes, (laughs) I don't think I would be relevant enough to help my clients, to understand exactly what they're going through, to understand the terminology they use, to be able to visualize what they're telling me. What are the biggest challenges that you see? What are the main things that you help people with, the real pain points that you're passionate about solving for people? I think that most of my clients, because they're very success-oriented people and usually they're actually very successful, they don't know where to stop. They don't know where to put an active limit to what they're doing and to their efforts. It seems to me like very often they tend to lose focus both on the journey but also on why they're doing all these things they stop enjoying their job they stop enjoying the outcome of their job so they tend to run from success to success to the next goal without ever taking a mental step back to just express gratitude for what they've experienced and these things tend to become more and more and in the end they create the feelings of a person towards their job So what I see very often is that I might have, let's say, a very successful CTO client, and then one day, without doing anything, uh, they might receive an amazing offer, uh, two times money, a better role in a much bigger company, and they just mention it to me like nothing happened. So what do you think, Zoe? 
do you think I should uh, do this or should I keep doing what I'm doing? And I usually, the first thing I have to tell them is congratulations. This is uh, the 1%. Not everyone gets amazing job offers without doing anything. Uh, not everyone has choices. But the more choices we have, it seems like the more we neglect the fact that other people don't have choices. Yeah. Do you think they see that as a almost a burden? Oh, now I've got a difficult decision to make, even though it's a positive one. Many times, actually, yeah, they treat it as a burden. They actually got very stressed, very frustrated. Like I had decided, I had put my boxes and I knew I'm going to stay in this role for two years. And then <laughs> after two years, then I was planning to move. And now this company coming to me, offer me a million per year. They destroyed my plan. What am I supposed to do? <laughs> yeah, it's very fun. And you put that down to people just being too busy and not, you, you mentioned gratitude earlier. That's important. We always forget what we've got and focus on what we haven't got. It's not necessarily because they're too busy. I think it's because success isn't something that happens without consistency and we, without always looking at the next step and working towards the next step. So it's very easy to, for that to become a vicious cycle where you don't know that now you've worked enough and you've succeeded enough, you can start enjoying them also. And you can start focusing more on what you're doing right now and be more mindful about your situation instead of just planning the next move again. I think it becomes a habit. Mm -hmm. And because many of my clients are actually self-starters and they don't necessarily come from money, so they had to create their own success. So this survival mode that was always leading them to want more things and to do more things and to achieve more things never seems to come down. Mm. It's almost never enough. Yeah, and it's interesting because although usually they come to me because they're stressed about a promotion or something, what we actually end up working more is how to be more multidimensional, I would say. How to not just be dependent on this one aspect of their lives, which might be their jobs, but also develop different aspects, different identities if you want. The more the identities you have, the more the things you put effort for, the easier it is for each of these things to have less burden and to enjoy more. If the only thing I'm doing in my life is my work, and then for some reason tomorrow they tell me, Zoe, you can't be a psychologist anymore because it's uh, forbidden, then what am I? I will have a, an identity crisis. But if as a person I self-identify from my being a psychologist and from my being a woman and from my being the friend of my five friends and also an athlete and also very artistic, okay, all, the other, all these other parts will be still there intact. So even if one of these parts starts being damaged, I will still have the others to hold on and build a new identity that I'm missing. Yeah, that's interesting because you hear that, yeah, people literally, their identity is their job. And if suddenly that's taken away outside of their control, it's the first mm -hmm. question, isn't it? What do you do? And usually the answer is, oh, I do this job, not, oh, I'm a parent or I'm a friend of these people. It's always generally, here's my job, here's my career. I would say it's also very gender biased, though. This is something you would hear more from men than from women. Women okay. tend to self-identify more as mothers or as wives, while men usually tend to self-identify more from what they do and what their job is. But this okay. is very much how society nurtures us. Society nurtures a lot men to work and to become successful and to be independent, while it does nurture women with a subtext and sub-message that you need to be a wife at some point and you need to have children. Otherwise, mm -hmm. will your life even have a meaning? Yeah. I know this is a important topic for you so should we get into that now the workplace and equality that's something you help people with and you advise corporations on is that right 
Yes, I try to. It's funny. Sometimes we have a, I might have a workshop on sexism in the workspace and they start by introducing me and saying, Miss Fraggle, you can see she's so young, but still she can help us. She's very good at uh-huh. what she does. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> Why don't you just walk out there and then? <laughs> yeah, because if I was Here's doing the that, uh, if I was doing that every time, I wouldn't. I would be out of clients. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, just a quick time out for a second to remind you that you can leave me a voicemail, and I will feature it on one of the future episodes. There's a link in the top of the show notes. You just click it. You do it from your phone or your computer and just leave me a little voice message and I will play it on a future episode. Okay, back to the show. But it's all those biases and assumptions that people make that's just completely un or wrong, frankly. So how do you tackle that? How does that conversation go after they set you up like that when you walk in the room? <laughs> I can't really blame them in a sense that especially older generations, we are old people of our society. So a person that has grew up in a society that is today 55, 60 years old, until very recently, women couldn't even vote. So all these changes happened while this person was alive. And he had to go through the one state to the next state, through seeing probably having a mother that had never left home to now having a wife who has left home to actually having a daughter that might even be openly queer. So it makes some sense that people are confused for starts. So it doesn't necessarily mean that every person who is sexist is also a misogynist or is also having bad intentions or bad motive. Sometimes it's just lack of training mm-hmm. and lack of education towards that specific subject. And frankly, I would say also force of habit. You, we, wouldn't, we shouldn't assume that everyone knows what is sexist. For this client who is 55, 60 years old, introducing me and telling to people that she's so young and that she's uh, beautiful, for him, it's a compliment that I should be happy about. They don't even think that way, that I might get insulted or that's something they shouldn't say or that might even be inappropriate. So how do you get around that then? Because you're dealing with ingrained behaviors and thinking, you said, from people that's all all they've known. Is it possible to transform that or to change? It's about education, isn't it? But... Do they, the minute you've ended the session and the training, you walk out the door, are they likely to just revert back to those ingrained uh, behaviors? What mm-hmm. you do is you can just give them an alternative perspective, an alternative approach, some food for thought. And you can just challenge a bit their empathy. All the rest is up to them. Basically, when I started studying psychology, the first thing they told us was a joke, a professor. He said, okay, guys, how many psychologists do we need to change a lamp. I said, how many? And he said, one, but the lamp, I need to want to change. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, yeah, you can't change anyone. Yeah. They no. have to change themselves. They but what you to. can do is give them knowledge that they might never have had access to before. Let's take a very simple subject like a sexual harassment in the workspace. People assume that sexual harassment in the workspace is basically an attempt of rape. But we all know that this is illegal. So most probably we're not talking about that. Most probably what we talk about is a hostile work environment where there are a lot of sexual innuendos or uh, you might have a director who's creating a sexual tension or who puts you in a difficult position by sharing too much personal information. 
And usually the line is so thin that you can't really address it. Because if you address it, he will say you're exaggerating or, of course, you're hysterical. This isn't happening. But it's also making you uncomfortable. So these are the things that you have to explain. That you might think this is funny, but it's only funny because you have been raised with sexual freedom. But then all the women around you haven't been raised with the same sexual freedom. So you talking openly about sex in work might be making them uncomfortable. And that's why workspace is not the place to discuss their sexual lives. And then usually they will say something like, yeah, but if she has an issue with that, she should have mentioned. It's not that easy because another stereotype and another problem of the society is that women get raised by not knowing how to say no, by being educated and indoctrinated and to always be pleasant and kind and not ruin anyone's mood and anyone's emotion. So no, it's not so easy for women to set boundaries. When they were kids, no one said to a girl, yeah, go play football. And if this other girl tells you something bad, you can punch her because that's how we treat people. No. What they say is that, you know what? I know you have, you might have uh, aggressive emotions. I know aggression might be a natural part of life, but why don't you play with your doll and let them go? Just push it under the car. It will pass. Slip it off. Yeah. <laughs> is it getting better? Because there certainly seems to be a lot more awareness about it in more recent years. But seeing more people coming to you for advice and support with it, or is it starting to improve in your view? Funny enough, my private clients, I would say that nine out of ten are men. Okay. They really have enough women. And the reason <laughs> is that I believe, for starters, like we said in the beginning, men tend to put more effort into their business life because that's, again, how they're raised. So it's more common for a man to seek a business coach and only ask for business advice. And I'd say the second reason is that women usually follow a more holistic approach. Women, if they have an issue, they wouldn't necessarily think that it's just about job. There's nothing wrong with me. I just need some help to, for example, become more communicative in my workspace. So I will seek someone specialized in that. If a woman gets stressed with job, she will usually starts feeling like it's her fault, she's guilty about something. So it's more often for women to seek actual psychotherapists, clinical psychotherapists, this kind of consulting. Yeah. But then corporations have started also in the, of course, in the spectrum of their CSR activities, but they have started putting more effort into sensitivity trainings and equality in the workspace. Are you seeing then more demand from corporations for this kind of support and training them. Yes, I would say, yeah, more demand for trainings. For, it depends also the country, but for example, Greece recently passed also a law about harassment in the workspace and well-being in the workspace. So it has also become mandatory <laughs> for corporations to run these kind of trainings because there's a need. So I'm actually thankful. It's a step forward. Yeah. And you help clients around the world, don't you? Different countries will be at different stage in progression with this. Of course. Of course it is. Depending on when you are in the world, it can be something that's completely solved. Like a Swedish client, I mentioned the other day, how is it going, the LGBTQI movement or the women's rights movement? He said, which, which movements? I said, about gay people or about women and equality. How is it going in Sweden? And he said, ah, oh, okay, sorry, we call it human rights movement. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Touché. So... Obviously, this is linked into things like mental health. If people are feeling they're suffering or they're not being treated fairly, 
or equally that's going to spill into their mental health in some cases. Do you, you help people in that area as well? Yeah, burnout. Burnout is a, I would say, a classic reason for why people come to me, but also why corporations come to me in order to develop prevention mechanisms. It's interesting, but if you think about it, school has actually a lot of burnout prevention me measures. For example, we always have breaks during its class, and then we finish around two, and then there are two breaks in a year and the very big one, the summer. But then we jump from that to our work life where we actually have 20 days per year in Europe, <laughs> at least in Europe. And this can be shocking. Not everyone is able to sustain this difference. Also, we have less energy and we get more tired. And at the same time, it becomes much easier for us to just hide our needs or ignore our needs because it's very easy to see a child drop a tantrum and start crying because they're just tired and screaming that they need to sleep now but an adult will suffocate completely this need of theirs and they will push themselves to the edges until they do what they have to do do you see a difference between mental health in women and men you mentioned earlier that women tend to go straight to get that support do men bottle it up a bit more or do women bottle it up okay. more or do both? I used to joke a lot about the fact that women go more often to psychologists because men go directly to psychiatrists. Actually, women are more used to deal with their mental health issues. Like I said before, usually women assume it's their fault, that they're guilty of something, they did something wrong. So it's more common for them to try to find a solution inwards. While men, usually saying it might be the environment or someone else's fault, but in generally they don't take things so personally. And this has a lot to do with raising and society again. They get less accused of things. We can see, for example, that, I don't know, a married guy cheats on his wife. And what will everyone say is that this spider took him as if he had zero mind or brain to decide on his own. But someone else had to influence them. So he was the victim. <laughs> of course, always. So it's the end of the summer season. It's already starting to get a bit chilly here in the UK. And people will be coming back to work and maybe setting some new objectives and saying, I'm refreshed and energised, setting some new goals. How do you help people with that? What kind of advice do you give people? It's actually one of the, I would say, first priorities decision to prepare the goals for the new season and what we want to achieve and create our planning. I always push my clients to set multidimensional goals, not just professional. I might be an expert in professional issues, but I don't believe in caricatures, that they only do this one thing in their lives. So I always push them to develop at least five different goals in five different categories, like social life, health, personal life, education, and then professional life. And I also push them to try to understand better their instincts because we all have strong instincts about what we need and what we should focus on. It's just that from very soon in life, they teach us to ignore those instincts and to just hide them under the carpet. So basically, that's what we're trying to discover. Why do you think they teach us to hide our instincts? Where does that come from? Well, society has expectations. And then parents have expectations and then school has different expectations. And somewhere along those lines, we have also our own expectations. But sometimes not everyone is strong-minded enough or dynamic enough or confident enough to 
say, you know what? I think you're all wrong and I am right. So I'm going to follow my own plan. I don't want to listen to any one of you. I will do things my way. And during that process, it becomes easy to lose touch with what makes us happy, what we're good at, and what's the combination of those two things. Because personally, I also don't believe that if you keep doing something that you're not good at, you're going to be happy eventually. We do need external validation as well. And we do need to put our time and energy into things that also give us something back, not necessarily only emotionally and not necessarily only financially, but in a context of progress and evolution. But it's very easy to lose this line and just focus on things that either they just make you happy and you're not good at them at all. So in the end, they don't make you happy anymore or the other way around, which is also the most common. Focus only on the things that you're good at and eventually, progressively, losing touch with anything else that you used to enjoy. Because nobody seems to care about these things. Everybody seems to care only about what you're good at. Yeah. I like what you said around the focusing on the different areas, not just your career. It's because, as you said earlier, then you're not just defined by your job. It's your family, your friends, yeah. everything else, your hobbies. It's interesting, but sometimes I have a new client and they come to me and they say, I don't understand why I can't be a CTO. I've done everything right. They've been starting a VP of engineering forever. And they always switch the CTOs. They're much less than me in every aspect. They always go with those people. And it's very hard to tell them that sometimes what you miss might be just personality and nothing else. If you've been stuck in numbers forever and then no one wants to talk to you and people can relate to you and people can connect with you, then maybe the leadership or the board of directors and various stakeholders, they want also someone who's more approachable. And someone who's more interesting and someone that they enjoy playing golf with. Even that can be, in business, even that can be an angle, a business angle. If you don't have a personality that's not boring because you do stuff, you have opinions, you read, whatever it is, okay? Not everybody has the same interests, but you have to have some interests. Then even success gets harder. This is a myth that we can only focus on our work and then success will come. If yeah. anything... You need to focus on a lot of things for success to come. We shouldn't be viewing our career as a ladder. It's more of a playground. Where you go, you do a little bit of the swing and then you change it and you go do something else and you collect experiences from all of these things. You mentioned about people just following that path and those expectations of their parents and teachers who just get the corporate job, the nine to five. Do you coach people who are stuck in those jobs but actually really want to be entrepreneurs for example and have a passion about something but they lack a confidence or i couldn't possibly do it i'm not going to be a success etc yeah this is the hardest thing for a coach i think when they come to me and they are i don't know 40 years old let's say they have already invested endless years in a specific career with a specific education they have three three masters sometimes in this very specific specialized thing and they come to me and they tell me that, you know what? I hate this thing. I don't know how I ended up doing it in the first place. I absolutely hate it. It's not me. I would like to do something more people-oriented or something more like what you do or something with children. But it does happen. Yeah. And is that a lack of confidence? How do you coach them through that? Why have well, they not taken that step before? Why have they put up with that job for 40 years? Because it's just all they know. Sometimes it's also survival. And when you're good at something and... You don't have the financial background supporting you. You know, mm -hmm. sometimes people, we tend to forget this aspect everywhere. When recruiters ask you this question, like, why do you work? It's okay to say, because I have this general urge not to starve to death. 
There's nothing wrong with it. <laughs> so many people actually work because they need the money. And it's better and easier to get money by something I'm already good at and by something that I have set the path there and I know that there are a lot of job opportunities there and not care about anything else because I have to solve survival. I need to put a roof above my head. I need to have food on my table. Okay. And then when I've settled all these things, many people, actually, that's when the first time they get the luxury of diving more into, okay, but I don't like this thing. Maybe I could do something else. So that's another reason why it might come later in life, this existential crisis of, I don't like my job, I should do something different. And the first thing we need to do is go really back to what did you used to enjoy before you started doing this thing that you don't enjoy? Let's start there. If you went back, what would you do? If tomorrow you had, I don't know, magic and you could have a completely different career, how do you see it? And from there, we start developing an, a different action plan. One of the questions I ask all my guests is, if you had one book you could take to a desert island and for the rest of your life you're trapped there, what would that book be? Oh, my God. That's very difficult. I read a really good book this summer, and because it's very fresh, I think that's the one I'm going to recommend. I read the book called Circe, and it's about Greek witch Circe. And it's so interesting because it has a lot to do with Greek mythology, but it's written in a very modern and common way, where on the one hand, you follow Greek mythology, but also it's about how the one woman in the entire Greek mythology that actually had power in her hands became demonized and was called the witch. And she got even exiled in an island to live on her own. She was actually punished by everyone because she had power. And I found it very interesting. So I think that people should have a look at that. Great. So if anyone wants to work with you, how do they get hold of you? I'm very active on my LinkedIn. So feel free to reach out. It's okay. uh Fraguzoe, you'll find me with my name. Of course, I'm active in all uh, the social media platforms because I'm a millennial. But if you don't want to see pictures of Greek island, LinkedIn is better. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Do you have a website or just is LinkedIn just the best? Currently in the mailing. I'll be okay. having my new website done by end of September, actually. Brilliant. Right. I'll put the links in the show notes for the listeners. Zoe, it's been great chatting to you. Thanks for being on the show. Same here, Scott. It was great meeting you. Thank you so much for having me over. And I really hope your listeners are going to enjoy our talk. I'm sure they will. Thank you. Take care. A big thank you for listening to the Rebel Diary Show. Your time is precious, so thank you. It is appreciated. The show has a new Facebook group for you to engage with others, discuss topics, and let me know what you think of the show. There's a link to the group in the show notes or search Facebook for Rebel Diaries Community. It'd be great to see you there. Until next week, take care, be a rebel and deliver work with impact.